uh, you got a good song leader. Does a good job, and your piano player is excellent. It adds a lot to a service when uh, you have a good musician and somebody that knows how to lead music. Uh, when I I started a mission work in Xenia, Ohio, back in 1986. I know I don't look that old, but I, I really am. Uh, and when originally we started, it was me, my wife Tammy, and my daughter Katie. We met in the basement. Uh, we lived in the building. We lived in the upstairs. We had our meeting in the downstairs. And when we first started, it was just us three for services. And I'd crank up that baby swing, you know, and I'd really let Tammy and Katie have it. And, uh, but, you know, she knew how to play leaning on the everlasting arms, and I led the singing. And it, it wasn't a real good mix. Uh, so I was thankful when the Lord started saving people and we got somebody that could lead the singing. But uh, I admire uh, good music. I appreciate it. Uh, I want to thank the church and the pastor for the invitation to come and preach. I counted a great honor to preach the Bible. And I thank the Lord for this church, what it means, what it's meant through the years. Uh, I'm thankful for the mission works that you do out of this uh, work. And, and I, I'm thankful to God that He's using you. Turn in your Bibles this evening to Mark chapter 4. I brought my dad and my brother-in-law tonight, Tom Ross. He, he calls himself senior, but we got different middle names. So uh, his, he's Thomas Fulton Ross, and I'm Thomas Wayne Ross. So, uh, but anyway, you may know him from Facebook because he gets kind of frisky on there sometimes. Uh, and and uh, then I brought my brother-in-law, Chris Jerger. Uh, my sister has tamed him. Uh, pretty well, and uh, they really came after I told them we were going to have food, so that's, that, that was one of the reasons. They, that was a big plus for them. Mark chapter 4, and we'll begin our reading in verse 34. But without a parable spake he not unto them, and when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose. 
and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? I want to preach tonight a message titled, Christ in the Storm. As I read and meditated on this passage of Holy Scripture, I couldn't help but apply it to my life personally, the way the Lord dealt with me in salvation, how He's dealt with me in the storms of life, and also as I reflected on the circumstances of our country and our world. We are living in a time where storms are erupting all over. And men are fearing. And I believe with all my heart we need people of faith to stand up and stand true and point men, women, boys and girls to the only one who can say peace be still to troubled hearts in storm-tossed times. You see, natural and spiritual storms are woven into the fabric of God's providence and the human condition. Since the fall of Adam, man has fallen prey to sin and he is subject to the storm-tossed seas of a troubled existence. In fact, the Bible describes lost sinners this way. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. I remember so vividly, it's been almost 43 years since the Lord saved me. And how I was so, my life was overwhelmed with guilt and engulfed with sin. And it was tossed like a ship without a sail. I was in darkness without God, without hope in this world. I, I remember so many times waking up in the morning saying, I'm not going to live this way ever again and go right back at it that night. Until Jesus intervened. And miraculously entered into my vessel. And took control. And made me willing in the day of His power. So miraculous. From darkness to light. From death to life. Jesus Christ can save the worst of sinners. 
He did it. Paul said, this is a saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus is come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And looking out among you, I think there's some second places here. Folks who have been saved out of the depths and out of the darkness of sin and wickedness or even self-righteousness and religiosity. But how thankful to God I am tonight that I can stand before you washed in the blood of Jesus and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, have all the promises of God that are in the book that are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And He's guided my vessel. I can guarantee you that He has never failed me. He's never forsaken me even when I'm fearful. Even when I'm faithless. He abides in my vessel at all times and during all the storms of life. Tonight I pray that you're praising God for the presence of Christ in your storms. You may not need this message tonight, but I hope you'll file it in your Rolodex because somewhere down the line, affliction will knock at your door. Storms will come into your life. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. Now the first thing I want to kind of just give a review, the particulars of this story. Now there's a companion passage in Matthew 8. Uh, I'm not going to go there for sake of time, but the Lord Jesus and the disciples had had a pretty remarkable eventful day. I mean, it amazes me how much Jesus Christ got done each and every day of His earthly existence. Every step He took was one on purpose. There were no accidents in the ministry of Christ. He knew exactly everywhere He was going, what He was doing, He was doing the Father's will. But if you read Matthew 8, there's some details about the day. Jesus had healed a leper that day. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Can, can you envision this? A man who had probably not felt the compassion and touch of a healthy human being for years. And Jesus Christ healed that leper from that loathsome disease and made his skin come like a little child. What a miracle. Wouldn't it be glorious to have been there and seen that? To see the power of Christ overwhelm a leper and heal him? That same day, the centurion's servant was healed of the palsy in verses 5 through 13. Peter's mother in law was healed of a fever in chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. By the way, Peter, well, you got to be married to have a mother-in-law. I know that. i got a good mother-in-law. She writes me a letter almost every month. She'll always put only one life to live, and soon as past, only what's done for Christ will last. I thank God for her. 
Peter's mother-in-law was healed. And then many others had devils cast out and other sicknesses healed. Matthew 8.16 All this occurred, all these events occurred leading up to them getting on the boat and crossing over to the other side. And He taught in parables as well. Then He took His disciples apart and He began to instruct them personally. I believe that that first little group was the first New Testament church. That, that were, they were the congregation of the Lord. And the head of the church was instructing them in the things of God. Now you think about this. The disciples had spent the entire day seeing the Lord Jesus Christ do miracles and hearing Him teach with power. And making application. I mean, think about it. Their faith had been fed and bolstered. They were in the presence of the Messiah. They witnessed His majesty. They experienced His power. They saw our God manifest in the flesh, do great and wonderful things that were really beyond human comprehension. They witnessed every bit of it as they walked with Him. And as the day came to the close, and this, this kind of boggles my mind. I mean, that's a lot of work. And he instructs the disciples, okay, we're going to get on this ship, we're going on to the other side as the evening came on. As the day came to a close, Jesus instructed the disciples to enter a ship and pass over the Sea of Galilee. He had made such an impression that there were other little ships of disciples that were also willing to go along according to verse 36. They wanted to follow the Lord. Now, the disciples didn't even ask. Now, if I would have been there, I would have said, Hey, Lord, it's dark. You know, I mean... And these guys were experienced fishermen. I've never in my life ever set sail on a boat in the night at dark. And you know what? They didn't have, they just didn't flip switches. Like there wasn't no electricity on the boat. So they're they're entering this boat in the darkness of night. The disciples had no idea what was coming next. They were just following the Lord. They were all in. And Jesus, as God manifest in the flesh, knew that a major storm was going to arise. He knew full well what was about to happen. Now there's a valuable lesson embedded here. We don't know what lies ahead. But our Lord does. And as long as He abides in our vessel, we're safe no matter what storms we may face. And He's already guaranteed us, if you're saved by the grace of God, Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He bought us with His own blood. We're His purchased possession. We're His jewels. 
that He's loved with an everlasting love. He died for my sins, the full weight, the full penalty on the cross of Calvary and put them all away. His Spirit lives in me. He has guaranteed me a place in the glories of the heavenly land based on what He's done. I want to be like the disciples. I want to follow Him whenever He says it's time to go. No matter how dark it is, no matter how you know unreasonable it may sound at first, I want to get on the ship with Him. Now we find in this passage that the humanity of Christ was also displayed. You see, I do believe in the hypostatic union. I believe that Jesus Christ was all God and all man. You say, well, explain that. Well, I just believe Philippians 2 where it clearly states this truth. I believe what Jesus said when He said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. I believe that He is the manifestation of the Godhead bodily. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. When I get to glory, maybe the Lord will open up all the mysteries of God manifest in the flesh. As for right now, I believe the book wholeheartedly. But Jesus as a man. And by the way, this is the only way you could be saved. A perfect man who was born without sin. And yes, I believe in the virgin birth. If you don't, you can't be saved. You cannot be saved by a sinner. You can only be saved by the one who was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Who lived, He was born without sin, He lived a perfect life, fulfilled all the law inwardly and outwardly, and then went to the cross to pay the full penalty for all that the Father gave Him. How amazing is that? Our Savior, as a man, endured my sin debt in His body on the tree. And I have a lot of sins. But you multiply that by people in every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue that He came to save. The magnitude of the weight of that penalty is beyond human comprehension. That's why the Gospel is all about faith. It's all about Believing the record that God gave of His Son. That there is eternal life in Him. If you believe that Jesus died for you, was buried, that He rose again from the dead, you'll be saved. And I'm here to tell you, it's the most glorious thing that will ever happen to you. When the Lord saves your soul. You see, Jesus, as a man, experienced weariness. I believe his, he was bone tired. After a long day of ministry, he knew the storm was coming. 
but he had no fear. Now think about it. He's the only one that knew the storm was coming and he went right down, right in there, pillowed his head and went right to sleep. He had no fears. The disciples, when this storm started, they began to fear for their lives. In fact, it got so bad that they questioned whether or not the Lord even cared for them. They thought they were going to die. And then Jesus rose up from sleep and just calmly stilled that storm-tossed sea. And I don't think it was a big production. I think He just got up and said, Peace, be still. And all of a sudden, everything just went as calm. It became a sea of glass. The wind ceased. The shaking of, of, of the water ceased. Can you imagine? The disciples, he, he then turned after he said, peace be still, and they witnessed it. He rebuked them for their lapse of unbelief. And then they, they, it said they exceedingly feared. That's a great thing. To have a holy reverence for the one who was able. I believe he's the creator of the ends of the earth. I believe He upholds all things by the Word of His power. And He simply had to speak the Word. And the sea became peaceful. And that stirred them. They were witnesses of the majesty of the Messiah in their midst. Now to give you an idea of the second point, the power of this storm. The Sea of Galilee lies approximately... 600 feet below sea level near the northern end of the Jordan River. Mount Hermon rises 9,200 feet to the north and strong northerly winds often plummet down the upper Jordan Valley with great force. When they meet the warmer air over the Galilee Basin, the intensity is increased. And hitting the cliffs on the eastern shore, the winds swirl and twist, causing the waters beneath them to churn violently. The fact that this came upon them so quickly without any warning makes this storm all the more dangerous and frightening. Now interestingly enough, the Greek word for storm is seismos. It's where, you know, kind of how we measure earthquakes literally meaning that there was a great shaking in the waters. So here you are. Jesus is asleep. This storm comes on unexpectedly with great force. And in the darkness of night, the winds begin to howl. The waters begin to churn with such great force that the ship began to shake and started to become engulfed with water. Now, I'm pretty sure I would have been pretty scared too. Now you got to remember, so the men that were on board were experienced fishermen. They had weathered storms before, and no doubt they did everything they could do before waking the Lord up. They were exceedingly fearful for their lives. 
You know, fierce storms often arise in our lives unexpectedly. And you know, it's so easy for us, it seems, to forget that God is in sovereign control of all things. Even the storms, the trials, the disappointments, the afflictions. See, in eternity, God decreed it. Everything we go through, it's already passed His reviewing stand. He's already stamped His approval on it. It's for your good and for my glory. See, the Bible says, and I believe this with all my heart, I don't believe in accidents. Remember the former things of God of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like Me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all My pleasure. Known unto God are all His works from the foundation of the world. He works all things after the counsel of His own will. So what do we do when trials come? Oh, sometimes we get angry. We get bitter. We start fussing with the Lord. You may not say it out loud, but you'll say, now? Why? Things were going so good. I've often thought about Paul and Silas. I mean, God is using them in a powerful way. People are being saved. They're there in Philippi and all of a sudden things go south as far as they're concerned. Next thing you know, they are arrested beaten unmercifully, their feet are fast in the stocks. Not one word of complaint. They understood who was in sovereign control. And God used that entire circumstance to save the Philippian jailer. How glorious is that? Peter put it this way. He said in 1 Peter 4, Verses 12 and 13, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice insomuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. God has a purpose in the storm you're going He'll get glory from it. And He'll strengthen your faith. Now next, I want to th think about the perplexity of these disciples. It's very rare that I alliterate a sermon, so when I do, I, I let everybody know I do it. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of times when, when people alliterate things, they really got to force things to make it fit. And I, that's how I, I mean, but perplexity is a pretty good word. Uh, for the condition that they were in. 
as they watched the waters engulfing their little ship and the fierce winds beating against them, they feared for their lives. They literally thought they were going to die at sea. They were perplexed. They panicked. Even to the point of questioning if the Lord cared for them. After all they'd witnessed that day. Think about that. Do you know our frailties are often exposed in trials? When difficulty comes, sometimes we're ready to forget 10,000 mercies in the presence of a single difficulty. Lest we get too self-righteous and start throwing rocks at these disciples for their lapse of unbelief, how many times have we gotten perplexed in the midst of lesser storms that were not life-threatening? How often have we questioned the love, the care, the compassion of our gracious Lord how many times have we drifted in unbelief, doubting the Word of God and the powerful presence of Jesus Christ? Preachers, if you don't have a book, I'd, I'd encourage you if you can get it, Miscellaneous Writings of C.H. McIntosh. Uh, I got this when I was just a young pup in the ministry. I want to give you a couple quotes because I think they're profound, what he said about this passage and about our unbelief. He said, There is nothing more absurd and irrational than unbelief when we come to look at it calmly. In the scene before us, this absurdity is very apparent. For what could possibly sink in the scene before us, this absurdity is very apparent. For what could be more absurd than to suppose that the vessel could possibly sink with the Son of God on board? And yet, this is just what they feared. It may be said that they did not just think of the Son of God at that moment. True, they thought of the storm the waves, the filling vessel, and judging after the manner of men, it seemed a hopeless case. Thus it is the unbelieving heart ever reasons. It only looks at circumstances and leaves God out. Faith, on the contrary, looks only at God and leaves circumstances out. We are so easily terrified. Every breath of wind, every wave, every cloud agitates and depresses us. Instead of calmly lying down and reposing beside our Lord, we are full of terror and perplexity. That's where I must have got the point. Instead of using the storm as an occasion for trusting Him, we make it an occasion for doubting Him. 
and that, that convicts me. Now, the disciples should have remembered at least four things. Number one, it was the Lord who told them, we're going to the other side. We're going to make it to the other side. Remember, I'm the guy that healed the leper, healed Peter's mother-in-law. I'm the one that's explained the deep truths of the parables to you. We are going to make it to the other side. And if you know Jesus Christ, you can bank on every word He's ever spoken. It's all, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Not one error, not one word that He ever spoke was erroneous or deceitful. So when He told them, we're going to the other side, no matter what happened, they should have banked that. Number two, the Lord was with them. I mean, they've, they've witnessed His power. He was with what? Why fear if Jesus is with you? And then they should have seen the composure, the perfect peace that Jesus had. He knew the storm was coming. He went right to the back part of the ship, pillowed his head, and immediately went to sleep. Even when everything was raging around him, they were the ones who woke him up. He was completely calm and peaceful. Psalm 4.8 says, I will both lay me down and peace and sleep for Thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. And then, if they would have been reading the Psalms, now, mind you, uh, how miraculous is it that you've got a Bible in your, in your language that from Genesis to Revelation that you can hold in your hand? And yet, how many neglect to even pick it up except for Sundays and Wednesdays? We got the whole book right here. Well, if they would have read the Psalms, I believe the Psalms predicted that the Lord would deliver them. There's a promise in Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9, O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee. Thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the wave thereof arise, thou stillest them. They should have laid hold on that. Just like you should. When you're, I, that's why I encourage you Start at an early age teaching your children to memorize the Holy Scriptures. No matter what age you are, you ought to commit portions of the Word of God to memory because it will help you when the storms of life arise. And it's a great way. If you can't sleep at night, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind starts rolling, go, through, go over all your memory verses. Boy, to put you right to sleep. He giveth his beloved sleep through the word. 
But I believe there was a, a specific prophecy in the book of Psalms, a messianic prophecy that relates particularly to this very incident and it was fulfilled here. You ever seen that? You seen it? It's You're going to love this. Man, when I saw this, I started shouting when I was studying. I'm going to try to be a little bit more controlled tonight, but turn with me to Psalm 107 and see if this doesn't sound like a prophecy of this very event. Psalm 107 and verse 23. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth and raiseth up the stormy wind. It was God who brought that stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, they go down again, to the depths their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. They are then are they glad because they be quiet. So He bringeth them unto their desired haven. All oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. I believe that passage right there is fulfilled. Christ in the storm. In times of great trial, and affliction, and trouble. Always remember, God does care. God the Father cares. He loved you with an everlasting love and set His affections upon you when you were yet a wicked sinner. Before the world began, He knew exactly what you were going to be. God the Son cares. So much so, He identified with us. He became a man. He died in our stead. He bore our penalty. Put away our sins. Rose from the dead. Ever lives to make intercession for us. He cares for you. And God the Spirit cares. He indwells you. He enlightens you. He empowers you. He energizes you. Think deeply upon the grace and the compassion of God in your life to dispel the doubts and fears as they arise. Now lastly, and when I say it's my last point, I mean it. Now we got preachers here. Old Brother Pearson. I wonder how many times Brother Pearson says my last point. And then, and then goes on for about six more points. And he's right up here on the front, so I'm hitting him. 
You know what? I got nicknamed for preachers that say this is my last point, and then they keep going. I call them pharaohs. You know why that is? They won't let the people go. I'm gonna let you go. It's my last point, and I mean it. The problem solved by the presence and the power of the Lord. You know what happened? You know what had to happen? The disciples had come to an end of themselves. They did not know what else to do. So they awakened the Lord. And in spite of their momentary lapse of unbelief, in their desperation, God gave them enough sense to call on the Lord. Thank God for that. And to save them from peril. And I've always been so amazed at the peaceful composure of the Lord Jesus. Have you ever been awakened by your wife out of a deep sleep? Maybe you were late for work or uh, you're taking a nap on Sunday and you got to get up for church. And come on, you, you're all asleep. Get up. Man, there's nothing composed about me when that happens. Man, I, I jump out and, and what, who, where? You know, Jesus, perfectly composed. He simply rose from his deep slumber and spoke three words. Peace, be still. The storm ceased immediately. The water of Galilee became a sea of glass. The power of the living Christ can calm the troubled sea and the most fearful heart. His humanity and deity were on display as if to say to the disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And as the disciples witnessed the power and the presence of Christ calming the sea, they were struck with fear of God and it, it, it says here, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? It was like they were saying to one, I didn't know He could do that. But you know what? They should have known Him better. Yes, and so should we. In times of difficulty. Macintosh said, there is something perfectly beautiful in the way in which our blessed Lord rises without an effort from the repose of perfect humanity into the activity of essential deity. Um, as man wearied with his work, he slept on a pillow. As God, he arises and with his almighty voice hushes the storms and calms the sea. If I could apply this and tie it up, life is filled with storms. 
And folks, I'm, I believe the Lord's coming back. I'm, I believe that Jesus is coming, but I, I don't think that Christians have ever been promised that we're going to just sail through life with no trials, no afflictions, no disappointments, no, no persecutions. The Bible says they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I'll tell you what, folks. We're living in an age where you have hatred of God's chosen nation, Israel, and a hatred of God's people who are saved by the grace of God. And I believe that there's going to be some real storms. And I pray that you and I have what's needed to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Life is filled with storms, but God is in control of the storm. As long as we have Christ in our vessel, we know that He will carry us safely to the other side. Sometimes the most troubled times bring the most amazing victories. Christ is in the vessel. Let this ever be sufficient. Let us calmly rely upon Him. Isaac Watts, we sang one of his hymns tonight. I, I loved our song service tonight. Bless my soul. We sing the mighty power of God who bade the mountains rise, who spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. We sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at His command and all the stars obey. Lord, how Thy wonders are displayed where'er we turn our eyes. Whene'er we view the ground we tread or gaze upon the skies, there's not a plant nor flower below but makes Thy glories known. And clouds arise and tempests blow by order of Thy throne. He closes. On Thee each moment we depend. If thou withdraw, we die. Oh, may we ne'er that God offend who is forever nigh. Christ is with you in the storms. Preacher, you come. Number 171. You can stand.